the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you for joining us today here on Exploring the Word on AFR. We're making a journey to Jerusalem through the Bible. Matter of fact, we're going through the book of Mark, and over in chapter 7, he was in Sidon and Tyre. That's about over 100 miles away from Jerusalem, but from there, he heads toward Jerusalem, stopping at different places. And today in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And where that is, that's in modern-day Jordan today. It's it's on the west side of the Sea of Galilee on the west side of the Jordan River. And they would go that way and then go to Jericho, and then they'll make their way up to Jerusalem. Because when we get to chapter 11, it's going to be the triumphant entry of Jesus going into Jerusalem. We're just days away from that biblically. And we're days, we've just had that this past Sunday, Palm Sunday. And so I love chapter 10. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. He knows what is waiting on him. He's purposely going to Jerusalem. And he's going to prepare them one more time. He's already told his apostles two times, I'm going to be crucified. I will be raised the third day. But finally, in chapter 10, he says it's going to happen in Jerusalem. Alex, again, the book of Mark uh, doesn't stay still. Mm. It moves quickly, doesn't it? Well, it really does. And, Bert, it's so good to be with you today and just such an honor to have everybody listening. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Mark 10 is one of the longer chapters in the Gospel of Mark, 52 verses. And, you know, what's interesting to me is that they, the Pharisees came to him, verse 2, and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? But there's two little words at the end of verse 2, tempting him. Once again, and here we are en route to Jerusalem, ultimately en route to Calvary, and they're still trying to trip him up. And it's interesting, uh, in verse 5, Jesus answers, and he says, you know, the, the the asking of this question and the answer I'm going to give is due to the hardness of your hearts. But even seeking out Jesus, not for truth or salvation, but seeking out Jesus to try to play chess against him, you might say, that was because of the unbelief and the hardness of their hearts. And sadly, Bert, uh, that hardness and unbelief exists to this day, doesn't it? It's been around a long time, Alex. You are right. Now, what Jesus does, notice what he does. He doesn't compete with them. There was two thoughts in that day, what it meant and why you could divorce your wife. Some of them said it's for any reason. They burned the biscuits. I'm going to divorce you. Others said it had to do with fornication. But Jesus avoids those two because either way, he, he is his time is set. He knows what he's going to do. He knows how to answer them accordingly. But notice what he does. In verse 3, what does Moses command? But then he even goes back further than that in verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So oh, God, wow. what he does, he goes back closer to the source. Uh, you know, if you ever, you know, we look at that. What's closest to the source of when it was said? historical documents you want to go well what's your historical sources where do you go to are the ones that's really close there and are they something that somebody made up a good time ago so jesus goes back to concerning marriage to that of creation and the law uh again you were talking about them trying to trick jesus tempt jesus uh what he does (laughs) he turns the tables on them alex yeah, he always flipped the script. And, you know, that's that's you know how it is. It's been said, you know, regarding Easter that uh, Easter is proof that you can put truth in a grave, but truth won't stay there. And <laughs> let me say, just as the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin could not paint Jesus into a corner, 
uh, he could always respond. Um, Satan will never overthrow God, and evil will never silence truth. By the way, I've got to say this right here. Uh, right now, the whole world is raging over the question, although it's not really a question, but the question of transgenderism. And the Country Music Awards, I'm sorry to say, opened up Sunday night with a transgender musical uh, number. And uh, let me say, I miss the days of Buck Owens and Johnny Cash, but anyway. Um, and then major companies have transgender spokespersons. All right, if you look at verse 6 of Mark 10, God the Son says transgenderism is wrong. And let me... From the beginning of creation, this is Jesus talking, God made humans male and female. End of story. End of story. I, I, I mean, that alone, the only man that ever rose from the dead, refutes transgenderism. Now, uh, poor Jesus, he, if he doesn't know better, he's going to get himself canceled and uh, be labeled transphobic. And, of course, I'm being facetious here. But, Bert, um, now, look. For this cause shall a man, that's male, leave his father and mother, that's heterosexuality, heterosexual monogamy, not fathers and mothers, but one father, one mother, that's the traditional nuclear family, and cleave to his wife. And the two shall no more, and they too shall be one, so that they are no more two, but one flesh. Bert, I'm going to say right here in Mark 10. Six through eight, in three short verses, Jesus, if we would listen to him, would solve the major moral battles that embroil the world at this moment. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be, quote, above your pay grade. All you got to do is oh look goodness. at it, and uh, somebody says, well, I'm not a biologist. Well, you've just answered the question because it is a biology question. It's not right. a feeling question whether you're male or female. It is a bi biology. Can there be genuine confusion? I think there is, but it is wrong. It's something that needs to be corrected, not placated to. And so that's what they're doing these days. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, listen to it. Therefore, Alex... What you were just saying, verse 9, puts validation on that. Therefore, Jesus said, this is the truth. This is a response. The truth is male and female. The truth is it is one man, one woman, and that is God's intention for creation, from creation and the law from life. And so here he says, let no man separate. God's perfect idea was a man, woman, marriage, and life. Now, again, there we get calls all the time. What about this? What about that? Well, what you do, this is God's, this is what God says. This is how it works best. And will people mess that up? Yes. But then there's forgiveness, there's hope and, and father, and, and we'd go to the father and say, help us. So Alex, uh, in the verse 10, let me read 10, 11 and 12 real quick. And you can go back if you need to. And in the house, his disciples asked him again about this matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife, marries another, commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Here it is. It's talking about divorcing and a big deal in that way. No, God desires for the husband and wife to be together. So here's, mm -hmm. I want to make this statement and we can move on or you may want to say one or two things about it. The marriage that you're in is the marriage that God wants to work. You may have Amen. been divorced, and you may be remarried. Work on the marriage you're in, both male Amen. and female. Alex, Jan and I, we've done this for several years with couples and uh, conferences and everything, and we say if, if most people would work on their marriage as hard as they do trying to get a divorce, those marriages would work many times. Now, you know, again, we're not talking about abuse. We're, you know, Alex, there's time to leave, you know. So we're not saying under all circumstances. And uh, that's why he said for the hardness of the heart that Moses gave him a bill of divorcement, wasn't it? Well, it was. And, Bert, you know, I guess it's been nearly a decade ago. The first time I ever heard that phrase, I heard you say, uh, the marriage that God wants to fix and the marriage God wants to work is the one you're in. And the first time I ever heard you say that, I thought, that is genius. 
I mean, that that is really true. Because let me say, the grass isn't greener. And in any relationship, you're going to have challenges. I love what Ruth Graham said, the wife of Billy Graham, and I think this is one of the most profound things that Ruth Graham said, marriage is the union of two forgivers. Amen. Two good forgivers. She put two, an adjective yeah. on it. She did. One more thing I got to say, and I know, look, I know uh, stuff happens, and if you are at a place in your journey and there have been decisions that were not ideal, look, God loves you. God is not done with you, so turn to Christ where you are, as you are. But I want to say this. I interviewed and he's become a close family friend, uh, Dr. Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman wrote, very famously wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, a book which I would highly recommend. Dr. Chapman has said to me on several occasions when we've done media together, and Bert, would you agree Dr. Chapman is just <laughs> one of the greatest Christian uh, leaders? He is. Let me share it. Five Love Languages changed mine and Jan's life. I've seen it change more more marriages, and it even helps with children. Find out what your children and your grandchildren's love language is. Amen. And it really does strengthen your marriage. He he said to me, this was back about two months ago, he and I were on a program, and he said, Alex, since 1968, when I began to minister with the this thing, know your partner's love language and speak to it, he said, I believe essentially any marriage, any marriage could be saved if the people would know their other their their spouse's love language and speak to it yeah. and he he said that uh basically any marriage could be saved yeah. isn't that wonderful listen i've seen it and heard it many times i've talked to people whose marriage was ending and then they read that book and they said oh if i'd have had that marriage i believe our marriage would have worked and Amen. so i i recommend it as highly as any book i can recommend Apart from the scriptures, Alex is five love languages. I really do. Mm-hmm. Well, in uh, ten through twelve, Jesus talks about this, and he answers, and he says, um, "Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and marry another, she commits adultery." So I know this sounds hard, tough as nails, but Bert, I believe Jesus was so insistent on marriage because it is a picture, a picture of the gospel. It is, and it's been around before the church, Alex. Just think about that. Yeah. The first first thing, two people join together, marriage, family. Well, we're going to be back with more of chapter 10 in the book of Mark right after. You're going to hear some what we call paradox statements. Wait and listen. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Hakeem Jeffries, House Minority Leader from New York. He has served in the House of Representatives since 2012 and is a former member of the New York State Assembly. Proverbs 4.23 reminds us of the character and conduct of a good leader. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, We ask for guidance for Hakeem Jeffries as he represents the people of New York each day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Many believe that Christianity is about being good. But Dr. Tony Evans says that all the good we can do is never good enough. He'll tell us why today as we spend two minutes with Tony. You know what religion is? Religion is your feeble attempt to be okay with God. And God says, everything you do cannot add up to one iota of solving the sin problem. That's why I had to come down. If you could do it yourself, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. He just could have waited on you. You know, most people don't know that. Most people you talk to are trying to work their way to heaven. Because nobody has explained to them heaven has worked their way down to them. Heaven has come to you. You don't have to work your way up to him. Jesus came down to take you up. You don't have to earn your way. It's a free gift. You must receive the reconciliation of God, not create the reconciliation on your own. Therefore, we are ambassadors. An ambassador represents one nation to another nation of Christ. 
as though God were entreating through us. God's talking through you when you share Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's called imputation, crediting to your account. What God does is he credited your sin to Christ's account on the cross, and if you receive Jesus Christ, he credits Christ's righteousness to you. So it's two things that happen, not one. He doesn't only forgive your sins, that's only half a story. He also credits to your account the goodness of Christ, so that when you go to heaven, you go as good as Christ is. When God looks at you, he looks through Jesus Christ. That covers your sin, so he doesn't see your sin. He can take you to glory. That's a good news message. Find out more about what it means to be a real Christian and learn about the amazing ways it can change your life. Visit TonyEvans.org and click on the link that says Jesus. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We believe in the Holy Spirit and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back. He's coming back again. Amen. I have to wait till He's coming back again to... No, I don't want to butt into that song too early, Alex. He is Amen. coming back again. It's Praise a great God. hope. Amen. We're in uh, Mark chapter 10, and we're going to go on through it. In verses 13 through 16, it shows that Jesus loves the little children. That would make a good song, wouldn't it, Alex? <laughs> they need to write a song about that, all the children of the world. Amen. Hey, I used to love that red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Amen. And, and I want you to know, those of you who are listening today on the radio, you're precious in God's sight. And uh, little children, yes, even more so. I mean, that's why the killing in Nashville, the killing in these schools where all these children, it reminded us of Sandy Hook up in Connecticut where was it mm. 20-something children just killed it. I, man, listen, Jesus, listen, while Jesus is here, he elevated the position of a woman and children more than anyone that's ever, ever walked the face of the earth, Alex. He really did. He really did. And so uh, he says in verse 14, suffer the little children to come to me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And, you know, Bert, um, forgive me, I've told this story before, but my little nephew, Benjamin, that um, Angie and I helped raise a niece and a nephew, and we've been involved in a lot of people's kids uh, helping them be raised. But my little nephew, Benjamin, uh, he loved to jump off uh, chairs and stairs, and I would catch him, right? Well, we were at my mom's house, and the old farmhouse had a big old long, tall staircase, and I was walking by, and he just... From the top step, I mean the top step, he jumped, and I lunged back to catch him, and I did, praise the Lord. I don't know if I could do it today, but <laughs> 20 years ago I, I could. And I said, Benjamin, look, don't. hey, how about giving me a heads up if you're going to jump from the second story? And he said, I trusted you. I knew you'd catch me. Wow. Well, like a little child, now, um, your your uncle might not catch you, but the dear Lord will. Amen. And so when Jesus says we've got to enter the kingdom like a little child, uh, look, believe God. Believe that God loves you. Believe that the Son of God died and rose again, as he did. The evidence is so compelling. Believe that God has a plan for your life, because he really does. Uh, Bert, I just think that um, it's very liberating to trust God Amen. and just to say, you know what? Bible says Moses parted the Red Sea. I believe that. Amen. It sets you free, Alex. You're free indeed. That's the whole idea. Listen, it's not childish. It's childlike. In other words, the trust, the example you gave concerning Benjamin is right on. (laughs) That trust, we jump into the arms of Jesus Christ. We do. Let me say this real quickly. And I said, I, I talked about it when we went out. And it's paradoxes. The two shall become one. Uh, well, okay, and here the adult must come become like children. Later on, we'll say 
the the greater must become a servant of all. And and Jesus in this chapter ten of Mark, uh, it's I call it a paradoxical chapter because he does that contrast again and again. And here he's telling us we need to have the trust. That trust factor, Alex, is what we would call it, wouldn't it be? Absolutely, absolutely. That trust, and you know, uh, nobody's ever going to get reprimanded for trusting the Lord too much. Uh, I, I, I don't think we can trust Him enough. But so Jesus takes the children in His arms and blesses them, and so uh, somebody comes running and kneeled at Him. And I wonder if this is like someone trying to take the posture of a child. Verse 17, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Now, Jesus was not denying his deity, but I think he was trying to probe a little bit and make sure the person was understanding, Hey, you're right, I'm not just good, but I am God incarnate. I, I and think so yeah. and he says, uh, "Here's these commandments." And he said, "Master, I've done all these from my youth." Jesus said, "One thing you lack: go and sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, take up your cross, and follow me." And the man was very sad at that saying because he had great possessions. And Jesus looks around because everybody's watching, and he says. You know, how hard it is for they that have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Bert, I want to be clear. Um, there's nothing necessarily sinful about wealth. In fact, I've, I've known some very godly, affluent people. I've known some pretty ungodly, poor people. So, But I think what he was saying is, um, and this is a, a cliché, it's okay to have things, but don't let things have you. Amen. Yeah. Hey, that's what I was about to write down so I wouldn't forget it. Let me really? – this, this, this story is told in Matthew and Luke, the three synoptic gospels that cover the same areas by and large. And right. we, from that, we find out he's rich, not necessarily from Mark. From Luke, we find out he's a, 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 a ruler. And I think it's in one of them it says, and Jesus loved him. Jesus, it doesn't, now Jesus loves everyone, but in this, this incident, Jesus saw something in this man that, that he responded to in such grace and truth, but the man did not respond to Jesus. Someone has said, this is the only incident in the Bible that you have them coming to Jesus who went away worse off than when they came to Jesus. You know, and and this young man went away grieved, for he had great possessions. I think it could be said the great possessions, and you've already said it, had him. Uh, you oh, know, he wow. said, I've kept the commandments, but what about that one, coveting? I think that yeah, oh, was— Oh, wow. The, uh, if yeah. you, and the Bible says if you break one of these, you're guilty of all. So, That's right. So this young, this young man was not willing, willing. Jesus wasn't saying you— got to buy your salvation. Give that up. No. He was saying, I've got to be first place in your life. Alex. Exactly. Jesus is not running a bargain basement business. Mm. No. You must come on him, his terms, not your own terms. Yes, exactly. And, you know, like Vance Havner said, that, um, you know, uh, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Yep. I, I remember hearing Vance Havner say that. And he goes on, and he very famously, very famous illustration about it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot has been mentioned about what this is saying. And, Bert, let me just address this, and we won't spend a lot of time on it. I've heard a ton of sermon illustrations about how there was a gate and a camel had to kneel down on all fours and sort of do, remember, limbo rock? You yeah. know. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, from what I have read, that's really not true. And, and there's two things. There's one commentator that says maybe, maybe um, the word camel is actually not an accurate translation, and Jesus was actually saying, look, it's, it is harder to thread a needle I mean, it's easier to thread a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Or maybe it was a, a very vivid word picture, a tiny, tiny little needle, and, of course, a big old camel that's 
three times the size of a, an ordinary horse couldn't go through it, that I tend to think Mark 10.25 is exactly what it says. It's, it's easier for a literal camel to go through the eye of a literal needle than some gate that really is not historically documented. Are you following me? I do, and when I was in Israel, they took us to a place. uh, Now, I don't know if you got to visit. They took to a place where a wall, where they had a a hall, and it was where they called it the eye of the needle. Now, they didn't historically document that, but the whole idea, if it's true, it's still got a good illustration. You got to get down on your knees. You humble yourself. You got to get everything else on your back. You're not going to bring anything on your own, and you, you and you get through only as you strip away yours and humble yourself before God. I agree with you, but even the other illustration isn't bad, Alex. Concerning oh yeah, yeah. concerning that. So uh, again, but anyway, but I love verse 27 because they were astonished because in that day riches meant blessings from God. That's the way it was interpreted. Riches and children, those two things in the Jewish community in that day, they thought, man, you're blessed. You got wealth, you're blessed. You have children, you're blessed. And here Jesus says, they were astonished in verse 26, who then can be saved? I think they were very uh, digging here, Alex, and Jesus mm-hmm. said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. God can put through that needle what he wants. God can bring a rich man to him. When that rich man does it, God can do it. That's the whole idea. And, and it's not anything contrary to what God has done in the past. He had healed. He had raised the dead. And Alex, he was heading to you know, back to Jerusalem, and this is what he was doing. He was getting ready to pay the price, and so this salvation that was going to be offered, it would be offered to everyone. Mm, amen, amen. Well, he goes on not only to salvation, but talking about obedience, and he says, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Let me say, here in America, we don't always realize the price some people pay to become a believer, you know? Bert, I've talked to a lot of ex-Muslims. It was my joy about 10 years ago to go to Cincinnati, and there was a major, major conference, probably a 1,000 people there, and they were all former Muslims, and they told some stories about being ostracized and losing family, friends, inheritance. Uh, I know others that have come out of different cults. I know people that were raised Mormon, and they become evangelical Christian. And let me say this, uh, for some of us from the Bible Belt, where we, every which way we looked, it was affirmative Christian. You know, there wasn't a social price for becoming a, a believer, but... I think this is important, especially nowadays. Listen, no matter what you lose, if you gain Jesus, you've made the right decision. (laughs) Good. Listen. Now listen to what Peter's question was. What was Jesus responding to? Verse 28. Yeah. Peter began to say, see, we have left all and followed you. Now here's Peter. He said, okay, uh, what are we going to gain, man? What's this mm-hmm. in? What's in it for us? And uh, what's what am I? Let me put it in my vernacular. What am I going to get out of this? That's that's kind of what he is saying. And and Jesus tells him that. And he's really talking about here upon earth because he's talking about the riches that the young man had. But yeah. this same Peter is the one who would say to the man who was at the gate called Beautiful in Acts, riches, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, what I give to you. Here he's saying, what can I get? And over in the book of Acts, he's saying, what can I give? Alex, that's the Holy Spirit working in his life, isn't it? It is. It, let me let me say this. I've often wondered, okay, Peter began to say to him, verse 28, lo, we have left all and followed you. All right, on the one hand, maybe 
Peter was asking, what am I going to get out of this? But I've wondered this because in verse 26, they were murmuring among themselves, who then can be saved? And I wonder, because Jesus had told the rich young ruler, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. The rich young ruler, and this is also in Luke 18, by the way, went away sad because he had great wealth. And the people are, the disciples are saying, uh, what can we do to be saved? I wonder, and maybe this is a 10% possibility, but was Peter asking, Lord, to the best of our knowledge, we've done all we could do. We've left all to follow you. Are we really saved? And so was the import of Peter's question there, what am I going to get out of this? Or was the question, Lord, if, if there's more we need to do, please tell us. Either way, either yeah. way, it's awesome. Jesus is the answer, isn't he? He, he really, really is. is. Hey, Alex, let me say this. Look at verse 31. I want to make sure we get this. We're talking about chapter 10 having paradoxes in it. The uh, It says the two shall become one. That's, you know, that's, how does that happen? Then the adult shall become as a child. And here in verse 31, the first shall be last and the last first. Another paradox. Uh, Good Jesus, observation. Yeah, Jesus is teaching these things in this neat way. He did it with parables. Uh, you know, he did it with questions, but here uh, in this, he's he's in a paradoxical mood, you know? Yeah. And, but the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The greatest position in God's kingdom for us is servants. You don't get I mean, any higher than that, Alex. That That's right. That's right. And, hey, the, the greatest way to become wise is to trust Jesus. And I think the greatest way to become darkened and foolish and even blind is to think that you're too smart to believe. I agree with you fully. Now, what's going to happen? We're going to stop here at verse 31 because verses 32, 33, and 34, they demand a lot more attention than we could give them in the last five, 15 uh, seconds here. But Alex, uh, here it is. On the road, he's getting these men ready. This is the third time in the last few weeks that he's told them about going to Jerusalem. And there he's going to suffer and die and rise again. And Alex, uh, Jesus knew his time was coming, and his time was coming. He began to teach them more and more, trying to get them ready for what was ahead of them. And so tomorrow we'll pick up there. But until then... We're going to take questions in this next hour, uh, this next segment, I should say. Yes. So that number is 888-589-8840. We would love to hear your Bible question today as Alex and I will do our best to give you a biblical answer to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. AFA is no longer dependent on Facebook or YouTube to live stream our original programming. As of now, American Family Radio shows like Today's Issues, The Court, Airing the Addisons, and The Hamilton Corner are streaming live on the AFA streaming app. Independent live streaming is the next step as we come out from among them and separate ourselves unto the Lord. Search AFA streaming or visit streaming.afa.net to sign up. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Let's be real. Retirement is expensive and inflation is making it even harder with the cost of everything going up from pet food to a dozen eggs. Wouldn't it be great if the cost of your health care could go down? Well, MediShare 65 plus is $99 a month for ages 65 to 74. And for many with Medicare Parts A and B looking at other options, that's 50% or more saved per month. No gimmicks. It's $99 a month, and you can use any Medicare-approved doctor or facility, and you get 24-7 access to telehealth from the convenience of your home. Better yet, MediShare is a Christian nonprofit organization. It's a community that will pray for you and encourage you. And since we've cut out the middleman, you get to keep the savings. Call now. You can learn more about MediShare 65+. 
Here's the number, 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE, 833-45-BIBLE. David, the son of Jesse, just an ordinary giant slayer. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. David's battle with Goliath is an epic drama where the little boy stands in God's power to conquer the Philistine giant. David didn't awaken that morning expecting to slay a giant. He didn't stroll in with an entourage after a rugged mountain range training camp like Rocky in Rocky IV. He was just a regular kid bringing his brother's lunch, but fully confident in God's immeasurable power. Though he saw Goliath, David never acknowledged him as a giant, saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dared defy the Lord of hosts? When regular people are fully persuaded, fully confident in God's power, giants fall. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Psalm 14, verse 2. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You got pain. He's a pain if you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, save it. He's a prison shaking savior. You got chains. He's a chain Man, Brent's doing it to me today, giving me this bumper music that I want to hear it to the very end. And I, I just, he is the pain taker, but he is the chain breaker. If your chains need to be broken from sin, Jesus Christ is your answer. Go to him. He'll bring freedom. Chains are, you're enslaved, but Jesus Christ is the chain breaker. Alex, uh, you ready to take phone calls today? That's right, folks. If you want to call in with a Bible question, the number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840, and we'll do our best to answer your question. We're going to begin in Texas, the Lone Star State, with Karen. Karen, thanks for holding. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex and Bert, so much. I appreciate you gentlemen so much. I, uh, I have a kind of a different question on um, divorce. Um, And it's funny because I have an annual physical every year and my doctor and I just discussed this today. My husband would like us to quietly, secretly get divorced. Um, And let me preface that also that he has Alzheimer's that runs in his family. Um, We're both in good health. He he needed to retire early and um, so what we have right now is what we have, and I think I know how y'all are going to answer it, but I want him to hear your answer on the podcast. But, um, I, uh, you know, he's been the provider for all of our marriage. We're going to be married 40 years um, this June, and um, he's a planner and a provider, and he's trying to, if something would happen to him or either one of us, there's the savings, what we have now is what we have, and they'll be depleted. I feel like the Lord provides, and we shouldn't second-guess God, but I just would like y'all's input on that. Karen, thank you for calling. Thank you for you having confidence or what you would say in our answer. And uh, we're, uh, we want to pray for you and, and, and your husband. That's difficult. It's hard. But mm. we need to be reminded the marriage vows, better or worse, better mm-hmm. or worse, through health, uh, Alex, or ill and, health. Yeah. And, you know? So, I'm, I'm, Karen, I'm assuming he's wanting you to get divorced on paper but still stay as husband and wife but for financial planning. Is that what he's saying? Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And not just us because we were, we're older parents and we still have – we have younger children – um, but he wants to make sure the family's provided for. And when you go into a cancer or long-term health care or something, then, and my doctor actually told us today that she said we do this quite often. And, you know, and that surprised me. <laughs> l- let me just say this, and, and this is not a legal show or a financial planning show, but in pretty much every state, um, when you're married, it's uh, joint 
tenants in common with right of survivorship. And that means that if one uh, spouse dies, everything belongs to the other. Um, I, I would say, and this is just me, but I would say as Christians not to divorce. What you're speaking of, that's like what... Um, I know couples do this, but here's the thing. To shield your assets, to legally, morally shield your assets, there's a lot of ways you can do this without getting divorced. I mean, you could put everything you have in a trust. In fact, Bert, Jerry Falwell, that we knew, Angie was his nurse, one of his nurses, but Dr. Falwell said that he and his wife on paper had a net worth of zero because he was, you know, a public figure. And he told us, and he told me, and I, I mean, I was not on the radio or anything, but Dr. Falwell said, look, if you're going to take a stand for truth um, on paper, legally, you can have a net worth of zero and put things in a trust or an LLC. Or, Karen, you could on paper get out of the uh, joint tenants in common with right of survivorship. Um, so let me just say, as a Christian, I would advise not to divorce, but to legally avail yourself to the financial planning that would accomplish, I think, what he has in mind. Bert, would, would I would agree, agree. and, and they, I've heard people doing that. You know someone who did do it, basically, but with Dr. Falwell, but divorce is not the answer there. We know that, Alex, biblically or anyway, relational, uh, and, and I think that is taking it, okay, God, we're going to do this, not you. And uh, so, Karen, check into the other alternatives. Mm. Do that, and uh, and we're going to pray. Father, I pray that you would help Karen, help her husband, for them to have your wisdom, your knowledge. And with the issues that her husband is facing, it's going to be a lot on Karen right now. And I pray you would sustain her and strengthen her and help yes. her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kevin in Arkansas. Kevin, thanks for holding. Uh, you're on, my friend. Thank you. Greetings and blessings to all. And to uh, you. I heard, a, I heard a story once that uh, the book of Mark might actually have been the rich young ruler. Just because it says he went away sad doesn't mean he didn't do what uh, he was asked to do. And uh, he's the only one that gives the uh, example of somebody being grabbed in the Garden of Gethsemane and running away naked. Have you? I I have never heard the rich young ruler being Mark myself, Alex. I that's that's something I've never um, run across reading or hearing either. You know, and you know, there's been a lot of speculation about who was the person. You know, and it's probably a, a very young John Mark, um, but really, church history indicates that it was written, you know, by Mark, a follower of, of Christ. And I don't know, Bert, that's kind of speculative about um, the author of the book being the rich young ruler. Yeah, um, and I would I say this too, Alex, you know, uh, it doesn't show John Mark having any kind of rulership. Uh, he, he, you know, uh, it doesn't show anything like that in the other remarks it makes about John Mark, you know, mm -hmm. that he was rich, young, and a ruler. The only right. thing that has anything to do with it is the young part. There, there seems to be hmm. no ruling and there's no richness there that we can c come across. Wow. Uh, at one out of three is not enough to build a theory on, but Kevin, that's an interesting thought. Uh, Brandon in Texas, I believe Brandon, are, are you a first-time caller? Is that right? Yes. Well, thank you, and we welcome you to this wonderful family called Exploring the Word. Oh, we enjoy it. I had a quick question about the Hebrew calendar. I have a source that you like that you turn to if you wanted to know what day a Hebrew holiday was on our calendar? Um. Bert, do you know, I, I'm going to say this, I've got a chart, there, there's a wonderful publisher called Rose Publishing, they're out of Pasadena, California, and Bert, I bought this chart, it's a big fold-out chart, and I, I, I found out Rose Publishing because I wrote 
a, a chart for them on biblical worldview and apologetics. But I got a chart with all the Jewish feasts and festivals and the calendar dating, and I haven't referred to it in a in a few months actually. But I felt like it was really really good, and I've I've been very pleased with what their research has has published. I know it's available, and it's usually online too. I I mean I'm just saying that's that. true. You you can yeah. find it online. You somewhere. really can, and Matter of fact, it doesn't pass over begin tomorrow uh, uh, night. If it's, yeah, I exactly. think it's sundown, if I'm not mistaken, and in 2023. So, Brandon, that is a neat thing to do. Now, let me just share this about the holy days or the calendar, the Jewish calendar. What you do in studying that, not to relive them, not to do it, although the, the Passover Jewish Seder, there's a lot of teaching in that one, Alex. I've done that. And, and the people who did it helped me to see how each one of these elements demonstrates who Christ is. Awesome. That's how you want to study it. You're not studying it for the point of view of saying, oh, this is what we need to go back to. No, this is something that you can see the character of God revealed. You can see uh, Jesus Christ and the, who he is and what kind of character he has. Would you say that along with me on that degree? Or? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and let me give you one more while we're talking. And folks, maybe you're going to know this name, but if not, I'm about to make you aware of somebody that is most beneficial. It's the late, great Harold Wilmington, H.L. Wilmington. And maybe his most famous work is called Wilmington's Guide to the Bible, published by Tyndale. But he, um, he, he had two volumes of Old and New Testament, uh, a visual study of the Old Testament, visual study of the New Testament. But like few people I ever read, Dr. Wilmington, he in depth talked about the feasts and how they pointed to Jesus and the offerings and the Levitical rituals and everything. And if, if you're interested in that, uh, Dr. Wilmington was really good. He was for forty, I think something like forty-two years. He was he and Elmer Towns literally were the intellectual and spiritual DNA of Liberty University. But like you say, Bert, um, delve into that world for this purpose to find Jesus. Amen. You, you know, that's I it. mean, that's what it's for, isn't it? It is, and it is. Uh, it, it that's a great study. I did it that way, and I came out just glorifying the Lord Jesus. Brandon, we Amen. hope that helps, and thank you for calling. First time. Uh, Jackie in Arkansas. How's everything up in Arkansas? Uh, uh, well, it's been a little hard lately. Um, tornado went through my where I live, about four blocks from my house, so oh, I was well. thankful that my house wasn't touched. I lost oh. power for th the weekend, but that's a minor inconvenience compared to what other people had to deal with. So I'm not Bless worried you. about that. Bless you. Um, my question is, when, you know, because there's so much evil in the world today, and it's obvious that we have a two-tiered system of justice for people that are blatantly and openly evil are never get touched, and then those that... Um, you know, have done something that might be a misdemeanor or whatever. Anyway, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So, uh, and, and then with the whole transgender and the whole alphabet group, I call them. Anyway, my, I have a son who gets very upset, and he says his point is that in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites to wipe them off the face of the earth as in Sodom and Gomorrah, this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, but you can't do that anymore. You can't do that. And he's like, why not? They're evil. They're this, they're that. And I'm like, what's the answer other than you can't? Okay, Jackie, thank you for calling. Alex, uh, this takes a little longer, so go ahead. And, and we, we answer that quite often. Jackie, I would say for sure read the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk will have something to say. And the other thing is Jesus has been born. Alex, mm -hmm. uh, when he told them to wipe it out, it was so that Jesus Christ, that area and that land, it was looking toward the Messiah coming, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. God has the right to take life. Uh, we don't, unless it is self-defense or national defense. 
Uh, so here's the thing. Um, and I'm curious, Jackie, are you still there? Is Jackie there? Yes. So, yes. so I'm curious, are you saying that your son is saying that we should have the right to kill the unbeliever? Or you are you saying, is he having a problem with the Old Testament because God told Israel to kill the no, unbeliever? No, no, no. He doesn't have a problem with the Old Testament. He is saying these people that are blatantly evil. Yeah. You know, I got you. I got like you. The, things like that. I, I I know. So so here's the thing. In the Old Testament, what God was doing uh, was bringing Israel into the land uh, through which He would send the Messiah. So God had a morally sufficient reason because um, you know several hundred thousand pagans over a four and a half century period uh, died, so the human race would have a, a savior. But as Bert said, Jesus has come and fulfilled the law, and our our job as the church is to preach the gospel to the whole wide world and to invest our whole life, every individual one of us, is to give our utmost to the Great Commission. And that's true. And what we do now, yes, there are unbelievers, but we need to, as Fanny Crosby wrote, uh, you know, back to the narrow way, patiently win them, tell the poor wanderer, a Savior has died. Uh, God has not deputized his church ever to uh, commit murder. Um, the only justification for for killing is either self-defense or national defense. Uh, Bert, would you agree with that? I would agree totally. And listen, it's not what we would feel like doing. I, I, I'll just be frank with There's a lot of things Bert Harper would love to take care of, you know, but the word of God is is stronger than what I would love to do. I want to have His mind. I want to have His heart. Uh, I want to I want to think things the way Jesus would, and that's our desire. But Alex, uh, as evil wax gets worse and worse, uh, mm-hmm. we have the co- soon coming King returning, and He yes. is coming back, and He will make all things right. Right now. It's not right. Right now, it is wrong. But God is going to make it right one day, and we need to make sure we're right with Him. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, this has been Exploring the Word. Ted, Cody, I know we had people on hold. Please try to call tomorrow. We'll do our very, very best to try to get to you. Hey, folks, uh, reflect on the fact that this is Passion Week, and the Lord was going toward the cross and ultimately would be nailed to the cross and suffer all that pain, rise again for you and me so that whosoever believeth in him would have everlasting life. So think about that. Worship the Lord and uh, just reflect on what a great good news we have because our, our Lord is risen. Well, we'll be back again tomorrow with more Exploring the Word. If you would, tell somebody about Exploring the Word, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.